All right, all right. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good? That's it? Just, eh, good, great. How's everyone doing? Come on, there we go. I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6 today. If you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and uh, start turning there. Um, I'm super excited. We started this uh, collection of talks, this series, a few weeks ago that I'm calling Predecide. How we can make better choices that lead to a better life. And the first week we talked about the power of predeciding, right? The quality of our decisions will determine the quality of our life. The reason most people don't have a great life is because they're not making great decisions. And so we talked about we can actually predecide with this one statement. When I'm faced with this situation in the future, I have predecided to take this action. Remember, y'all know what I'm saying. When I get cut off in traffic, remember, I've predecided not to flip them off, but to bless them in the name of Jesus. When I run into my mother-in-law, I have predecided. I'm not even going to go there. She's here. And then last week, we talked about our first I am ready statement, right? Because if we predecide who we are, that will help us know what to do in certain situations. And so last week, we talked about the power of overcoming temptation. And I don't know about you, but I was really encouraged because I left church hearing two things. The devil's coming for me, and I'm not as strong as I think I am. That was the most encouraging message I've ever heard. I'm just saying. But we can predecide to be ready. How do we do that? We move the line. We magnify the cost and we plan our escape. And so this morning, the, the I am statement, the, the decision of who we are, I actually believe it is the most important spiritual quality we can talk about. I, I believe it is the one quality that can change your life, not just today, but for the rest of your life. It actually can change the trajectory of your life if you don't like the direction it's headed in right now. And one of the greatest things about this quality is it has nothing to do with good looks because half of you would be out. Hey. It has nothing to do with talent. It has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with education. That's amazing. So some of y'all might be asking, what is this quality? Well, I'm so glad you asked. The spiritual quality that can truly change your life is consistency. And some of you are probably already thinking, oh crap, well I'm screwed. <laughs> because if you're anything like me, we are not naturally consistent. It's not in our human nature to be consistent. And I actually find great encouragement because there's this man named the Apostle Paul who wrote much of the New Testament, and he actually found himself to also be humanly and consistent. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 15, and then 18 through 19. This is the word of God, the Apostle Paul writing, verse 15. I don't really understand myself. Anyone else ever feel that way? I, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. 
And I think if we're all a little honest this morning, whether today is the day we find ourselves agreeing with that verse, it might have been yesterday, a few weeks, or maybe it will be tomorrow. But I believe that through God's word and with God's help, that today we can pre-decide to be consistent. With God's help, I am consistent. Come on, say that with me, church. With God's help, I am consistent. Some of y'all said that like you didn't believe it. All right, say it like you believe it now. All right, one, two, three. With God's help, I am consistent. Here's why consistency matters. Because successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. We are not what we occasionally do in life. We actually become what we repeatedly do. That consistency is actually what makes all the difference. And in Daniel chapter 6, we're going to read a little bit about Daniel's life, but I want to give some background into today's text because Daniel was actually one of the most consistent people in all of the Bible. Through, through the way that he lived, he was morally consistent. He was relationally consistent. He was spiritually consistent. And that is what set him apart and made him an incredible leader. So some history around 605 BC, before we get into today's text, this was about 18 years after the Babylon Empire destroyed Jerusalem. So, so they came in, they took over Jerusalem, and then the Babylonian Empire realized that there was some really talented young boys in Jerusalem. And so they came up with this plan, and they began abducting boys, usually around the age of 12, sometimes a little bit younger. They abducted them, and their plan was to indoctrinate them into their society. So they wanted to teach them their customs, they wanted to teach them the ways of their culture, their rituals, and they really wanted to build them and shape them to become leaders in their culture. And Daniel, he's actually one of these boys. He's one of these boys that's abducted. And when he comes under Babylonian rule, King Darius at the time, he begins to notice that Daniel stands out among his peers. Remember, they were abducted around the age of 12. So what I learned very early on in Daniel's life is that age has absolutely nothing to do with being consistent. So whether you're the youngest one in the room this morning or the oldest one in the room, and I'm not going to ask, but you can make a shift today to become more consistent with God's help. And it can be the one spiritual quality that will begin to set you apart from your peers. Daniel remained consistent. And because of his consistency and because he was set apart from everyone else, Darius noticed this, this and he says, well, I'm the king, so I'm going to start to promote Daniel into positions of authority. Well, let's just say the other leaders were not happy with this decision. They weren't happy with a boy that was taken captive from Jerusalem getting their title or their position or their promotion that they were destined to get. And so they decided to undermine the king's plan and they thought, well, let's come up with something. And so they did 
what any good person does, a little bit of what we're seeing take place in society right now, they sought to uh, find this thing called cancel culture. And they said, let's go into Daniel's past. Let's see if we can dig some dirt up on him. Let's go to talk to all of his ex-girlfriends and see if he was ever abusive or he was ever rude or if he ever cheated on them. Let's scroll through his old social media posts and see if 10 years ago he made a tweet that nowadays would be considered racist or insensitive or all these. Let's find something that we can use and take before the king and cancel him. Well, amazingly enough, as we see in God's word, they could not find anything. Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 3, the word of God says, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to found a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of this kingdom, the perfects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, we agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except for you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of mighties and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. They could not find anything wrong in Daniel's life because of the consistency that he lived with. But they still had a plan. They thought if we could pin the God of Daniel against the king. We know that he is so consistent in his worship to his God that even this might trip him up. But the question is, did it change the way Daniel lived? And the question that I have for the church is, when our government creates laws or systems or decisions that do not line up with God's word? Is it going to change how we as the church live and operate? Or are we going to remain faithful, steadfast, and consistent in our agreement with God's word? Because we're really watching that reality unfold before our very eyes. And I think Daniel has a lot to teach us because he did not change. Look at verse 10. This is after this decree has been signed. Let me translate that if you didn't understand what I was saying. This decree says, if you worship anything or anyone other than the king, you get thrown into a pit of lions, okay? At that chance, at that time in history, the survival percentage of getting thrown into a den of lions was 0%. Yet Daniel remained consistent. Look at verse 10. When Daniel learned that this law had been signed... He went home, and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. 
with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. You see, Daniel remained consistent even when society wasn't. Daniel decided, I was going to continue to do what I've always done, even, excuse me, even if it means punishment might be standing before me. Even if it means persecution is waiting at my door. I love the way the word of God says that he went home and he knelt down as usual. Like this was just part of his routine. And then it goes on to say, well, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. And I started to read that and it really began to hit me. What are the things that I do in my life that if somebody decided to write about, they would say, well, Michael came home from work and he did blank as usual. Michael came home from work and he did blank just as he had always done. You know, I, I find it so interesting. I'm, I'm loving this whole becoming a dad thing. All right, I got a 15th month old. He's up here running around like a little nugget. But one thing that I'm noticing is he catches on to everything that you do so quick. Like I do one like action or move and all of a sudden he's over there trying to do the same thing. He doesn't understand why I did it. He doesn't understand what it accomplishes, but he sees dad do it and so he wants to do it. And my prayer as he grows up, I've got to ask myself the question, what is it that 20, 30, 40 years from now, if my son was asked the question, what is it that your dad usually did? Or what is something that your dad always did? If we ask ourselves that question, what would that response be? Because I'll tell you what I don't want it to be. And I'll tell you what the story is for too many people that grew up with a dad like this. Well, I know one thing is my dad got home from work and he went right to the fridge and he grabbed a cold one, as usual. And then he went and he sat down in his recliner and he turned on sports, just like he always had done. Or maybe it was, well, I know my dad showed up to my football games as usual. But then on the way home, he ripped me apart because I didn't perform well enough, just like he had always done. You see, what we do consistently is who we become. What we do consistently is what sets us apart. Daniel was consistent, kneeling before the Lord and in prayer three times a day. And so he does what he always has done, even though persecution was in his face and the leaders and the satraps come together and they say, oh, King Darius, Daniel's gone against this injunction. Daniel sinned against you. What should his punishment be? Oh, wait, we already decided throw him in the lion's den. And so Daniel gets punished. He gets thrown into the lion's den. And if you know this story, you know what happens next. But if you don't, let me spoil it for you. God sends an angel to shut the mouths of the lions. Daniel was not harmed in the lion's den. Why? 
Well, Daniel 6, 23 tells us that the next morning after Daniel had been in the den all night, the king comes out, sees that he's alive, and then the word of God says, the king was exceedingly glad. I find that interesting because remember, this is the king that wanted to promote Daniel. But what did he do? He fell into the opinions of others and he made a decision based on their opinion, not on the truth. And so he ends up doing something he actually might regret, and yet the Lord remains faithful. And so the king's actually excited to see that Daniel is still alive. He commands that Daniel be taken up out of the den. When Daniel gets out of the den, check this out, there was no kind of harm found on him. Why? Because he had trusted in his God. He remained consistent in trusting God and because of his trust in him, he was not harmed. So I've got a question for us. When did Daniel learn to trust God? When did Daniel learn to be consistent in his trust, no matter the situation? You see, Daniel did not learn to trust God in the lion's den. He learned to trust him in the prayer closet. And far too often I meet people who call themselves followers of Jesus. And a storm hits them out of nowhere. They get thrown into the lion's den. And then all of a sudden they're starting to go, God, I trust you. Like, sorry, by that time it might be too late. We, we don't need to wait until we get thrown into the lion's den to learn how to trust God. You see, most of us, we just pray occasionally, but Daniel prayed consistently. So then when the storm came, he was ready to trust his God. Because the question is not, will the storm come? The question is, when it does, how will you respond? When we spend time in the prayer closet, when we remain consistent in our walk with Jesus, whether we're on the highest mountain or the lowest valley, it will be our consistency that sets us apart and allows us to trust God even in the face of uncertainty. And I'm just saying, y'all, I wake up every day and I don't know what this world's going to do. I wake up every day and I don't know what our president's going to say. I wake up every day and I don't know who's running the country, to be totally honest. But here's the hope that I have. I can remain consistent in Jesus because he is the same God that raised Jesus from the dead. He is the same God that opened blind eyes. He is the same God that parted the waters before. And if I remain consistent in trusting him, no matter the uncertainty that lies before me, my consistency will reveal he can be trusted. My God is faithful to complete it. You don't learn to trust in the lion's den. You've got to learn to trust in the prayer closet. But how do we grow in our consistency? How do we, how do we overcome this truth that if we're all a little honest this morning, we are not naturally consistent? How do we grow in consistency? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Three keys to help us grow in our consistency and we're going to see how they applied in Daniel's life and how we can apply them to our own life key number one you've got to know the why you've got to know the why why was Daniel so consistent in his prayer life 
We read all throughout scripture that there were groups of people all throughout human history that were consistently public in their prayer life because it was about the show, it was about the performance, or it was about the title. But we can see with Daniel that when he went to pray, it does not say he went to the public place. It says he went to his house, knelt on his knees and prayed where he had always prayed before. He prayed consistently because of his love and his fear of God. He knew his why. How many of y'all have ever made a New Year's resolution that you did not keep? If your hand is not raised, you're lying. I, I'm very intrigued by New Year's resolutions because I have to, I, honestly, I stopped making them. So every year my resolution is to not make a resolution. I'm doing pretty good. But I have to ask myself the question, why do we wait until January 1st to do something? Like if, if our desire is really to lose 20 pounds and we're sitting here in July and we're thinking, oh, well, I want to lose 20 pounds. I'll make that my New Year's resolution for 2024. Well, what? what? Who's to say you're even going to make it to 2024? Well, why do we wait until January 1st? And then I have to ask the question, why do we suck at keeping resolutions? And if I asked you why you failed to keep yours, you might give me a list of a thousand excuses. Well, the gym membership was too expensive. Well, you got kids now, Pastor. You know what happens when you have kids. Oh, well, my wife is pregnant, so I got to gain the, the weight with her. You, you, can, you can come up with all these excuses. But it boils down to one thing. These resolutions are birthed out of desire, not devotion. And when we realize and when we begin to make decisions or we make resolutions birthed out of desire and not devotion, we will be inconsistent. Because if we just desire to become something, but we're not devoted in the why, then when it gets difficult or an excuse arises or a situation gets in the way, we stop being consistent. The same applies to our walk with our God. Do you just desire to spend time with Jesus? Or are you truly devoted out of a fear and a love for him? And that is your why that pulls you into your what. When a decision is birthed out of desire and not devotion, it will remain inconsistent. We have to know the why. Well, maybe you would say, Pastor, I want to grow closer to God. Why? Maybe your why would be, well, I want to love him more. I want to know him more. I want to serve him in everything that I do. Pastor, I want to be more consistent in my marriage. I want to have a better marriage. Well, why? Because I want to honor my vows. I want to be an example to my kids. I know there's a legacy on the line. Pastor, I, I want to remain consistent in my finances. I want to have financial stability. Well, what's your why? Maybe it's because you want to live a worry-free life. Maybe it's because you want to be, have the ability to be radically generous whenever God asks you to be. Well, Pastor, I want to stop that bad habit. Well, is it just a desire to put the alcohol away or do you know your why? 
Are you devoted to breaking the generational curse in your family that started three decades ago but will end with you today? You see, when you know your why, you will find a way. And when you define the why, nothing gets in the way. I'm just saying, y'all, I've, I've read everything you can read on motivational speaking. I've read everything you can read about how do you achieve this and do that. And all these books talk about this thing called willpower. I'm sick and tired of willpower. We need to start talking about why power because the why is what changes things. And there's too many people who don't know why they're doing what they're doing and they remain inconsistent and they don't grow. They don't lose that weight. They don't build better relationships. But but when you know your why, you will push through anything and find a way. Daniel knew his why from a very young age. He knew that he belonged to a father in heaven. He knew his identity was not in any earthly king or what that king said about him, but he knew his identity was found in only what his God said about him. And he made his values clear from early on. And so his decision was easy. Even if culture changes, I am going to remain consistent in my devotion to Jesus. I'm going to remain consistent in trusting my God, key number one, you've got to know your why. Key number two, you've got to plan to fail. Now, this might sound counterintuitive. I thought you were talking about consistency. Why are we talking about fail? You've got to plan to fail. We're humans, okay? It's going to be part of what we do. Daniel, the Bible says, prayed three times a day. We've got to ask the question, do you ever think he missed a prayer time? Don't over-spiritualize him. He's a man, just like you and me. Do you ever think he missed a prayer time? I, and there, there might have been a day where he was working with King Darius, and guess what? The cattle got out. I'm going to miss prayer time today. I've got to go chase down cattle. Oh, the irrigation system stopped working. Gonna miss church today. I gotta go fix that. Oh, the car broke down. Not gonna get there in time. I, 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 I believe Daniel missed a few moments of prayer throughout his life, but his life is still defined as a man who prayed three times a day. Why? Because he actually planned to fail. You see, too many of us, we live with this all or nothing mindset. We think, well, if we, we set out to do something, we want to remain consistent in this. But then the one time that we fail, the one time that we miss it, we throw our hands up, we toss in the towel, we go, screw it, forget it, I failed, it's done. You know what I'm saying? You go to the gym, you start working out, you're in your routine, your rhythm, and, and then you miss one or two weeks because you had an injury you didn't expect. How hard is it to get back in that gym? You miss one or two days because life happens. How hard is it to begin doing that thing? Again, we, we have this all or nothing mindset. Why? Because we confuse perfection with consistency. Being consistent is not the same as being perfect. Do you desire to spend time with God every day? Well, here's how you plan to fail. If you miss one day, don't miss two. You're going to miss one day. 
And if you hold yourself to a standard that you're never going to miss one day, then you're holding yourself to a standard that not even your God in heaven holds you to. Do you desire to be more consistent in your marriage? Well, here's how you plan to fail. If you have a bad argument with your spouse, don't let a bad conversation turn into a bad day. Don't let a bad day turn into a bad week. If you want to remain consistent in your finances, well, how do you plan to fail? Make a decision that if you make an impulse purchase, that after that purchase, after you fail, you're going to plan a strategy to overcome that temptation the next time it happens. That's how we plan to fail. We, we don't strive to be perfect. We strive to be consistent. And I want to tell you, if you're in this room this morning, that you may have shown up in church today by accident or what you think is an accident, or maybe you've been sitting in a pew or a chair your entire life, but every time that you hear anyone talk about Jesus or talking about being a Christian, it sounds like these Christians and this Jesus thing is all about perfection. And somebody got up and they told you about giving your life to him and it sounded a whole lot like about, well, I've got to clean up, I've got to get rid of things, I've got to be perfect. Well, here's the great news this morning. I want to set you free from this fact. You do not have to be perfect to follow Jesus. Some people don't give their life to Jesus because they think, well, what if I cuss? I'm just saying, if you're living with a sailor's mouth right now, it's going to take some time for God to work on you, okay? So don't think that just because you might slip up and you might cuss when you bust your toe on the corner of the table or you step on your kid's Legos, that that's going to disqualify you. Jesus doesn't want your perfection. He wants your devotion. Some of us think, well, if I become a Jesus follower, then, then I don't know. I, I, I just don't know if I can overcome this addiction. Well, guess what? You probably will fail. You'll probably take a swig of that drink. You'll probably smoke another cigarette. Well, when we plan to fail and we recognize that when that happens, when that storm comes, how we respond to it is what makes all the difference. And our plan to fail as followers of Jesus is this. When we mess up, because we know we're going to, we're not going to run to the opinions of others. We're not going to run to the things that the world has to offer. But now as a follower of Jesus, we're going to run into the arms of our heavenly father. Because even if this is the first time we failed or the hundredth time we failed, we know that his posture is still the same as the picture of Jesus on the cross, arms wide open waiting for us to come back. Following Jesus is not a pursuit of perfection. It is a pursuit of devotion. I've fallen in love with golf. I don't know if you know that. I talk about it quite a bit. My family knows that far too well. But uh, during COVID, there wasn't really anything to do in South Florida. The beaches were even closed, but the golf course was open. And uh, it was amazing that uh, you could go out and you could play this game. And, and I started to learn golf, and I bought a set of clubs off an old guy in Florida for like 20 bucks from 1970. And I started to learn the swing and do all these things. And then I started to watch it on TV. And what I found so interesting was I go out on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and I pay $45 to play 18 holes. 
And then I start watching these guys on TV. They play 18 holes. But at the end of their round, they didn't pay $45. They're earning $450,000. So I'm like, how does this work? What sets me apart from the Saturday afternoon golfer that has to pay to do it and the guy on TV that's making millions to do the exact same thing? We're, we're playing the exact same sport. It, the courses are obviously different, but it's kind of the same setup, the same idea. What sets us apart? Is it talent alone? Maybe. Is it money alone? Well, they were born into a rich family, and so they paid for lessons and this, that, and the other. Is it their ability to hit a good shot? No. Because there was a day I was on number 11 at Mariah Hills, and I hit that ball, and I hit a good shot. So I have the ability. I know it's there. But what sets me and them apart? Consistency. Their ability to hit a good shot every single time. What sets you apart and your career and your hobby from the things that you love doing versus the guy on TV that's getting interviewed about doing it? Consistency. They do the same thing the same way every single time, and it sets them apart. You see, the thing about golf is you have good days, you have bad days, and you have ugly days. And if you had a desire birthed out of perfection, and that's why you love the sport, you're going to give up. Because you have a bad day or an ugly day, and guess what? I'm never going to be good. Consistency matters because we don't plan on being perfect. But we can remain consistent because we know if we do the same thing enough, eventually it will stick eventually consistency will matter. How, do, how does that apply to you? Well, I'm here to encourage you that right now it might feel weird. It might feel like a waste of your time. You might not even understand why you're getting into God's word every single day. But consistency matters because there's going to be good days, there's going to be ugly days, and there's going to be bad days. But if that consistency is already set in place, it will stick no matter the situation. You've got to know your why. You've got to plan to fail. And number three, you've got to fall in love with the process. You have to fall in love with the process. I find it so interesting that all throughout Daniel's life, he never did what he was doing because he sought promotion. He never wanted to be elevated above every other people. Sometimes I think we go into our workforce or we go into school or we go into our lives and we think, well, if I do these things, then people will notice. If I do these things, then my boss will give me a pay raise. If I do these things, then I'll get that promotion down the road or I'll make it on that team or I'll have that following on social media. But when our desire and when we plan to have an outcome, but we don't love the process what happens when things get hard? We give up. When we don't hit our goal, we give up. But we've got to fall in love with the process if we are going to remain consistent. My goal in golf is to shoot a 72 at Mariah Hills. That's even par. Some days I'm two off of that. Other days I'm 32 away from that. 
If I only desired the goal, but I did not fall in love with the process, I would never be out there golfing again. But I've fallen in love with the process that if I show up every day and if I remain consistent, I will eventually make progress. And the same is true in our spiritual life. But for far too often, culture has defined sex success as something that it is not. So we have to understand what true success is as a follower of Jesus. Success is not achieving a goal in the future. Success is when you honor God today. That's what it looks like to fall in love with the process. Not to be so caught up in the end goal, but to fall in love with the here and the now. And the here and the now. And I'm not saying don't set goals, don't be led by vision, but if you don't fall in love with the process of where you are today, where God has you today, it will be very easy to give up and question your purpose. It will be very easy to give up and stop doing what you're doing. But when you fall in love with the process and you realize that each and every day is an opportunity to achieve success, because if I honor God where I am today, then I am being successful. And if I remain consistent in that, then guess what? Progress is naturally going to happen. So we can pre-decide today, with God's help, I am consistent. When we know the why, when we plan to fail, and when we fall in love with the process, we can grow in consistency. So I want to close in prayer this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And I want to remind you if you're in this room this morning or if you're listening online, that you don't have to be perfect to be a follower of Jesus. And if, when it comes to consistency, it's not actually about perfection, it's about devotion. And this morning, wherever you are, if you would say that you don't have a life that's submitted to Jesus, and maybe it's because you've believed this lie that you have to figure things out on your own before coming to Him, or that you think you have to clean yourself up before you can come to Him. I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus is waiting, arms open wide, ready to receive you. The Bible actually says that while we were still yet sinners, Christ gave his life for us, for you and for me. So my question for you this morning is what's truly holding you back? You don't have to change to follow him. Brother, sister, be encouraged that following him does change you though. And I promise you it's for the better. If you're in this room this morning or listening online and you would say today is the day I want to repent, submit, and surrender my life to Jesus. I want to ask you to have a conversation with your heavenly father right now. There's nothing fancy about the words that you say. But it's as simple as what the Bible says in Romans 10. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you shall be saved. Repentance is simply admitting that there's sin in your life and choosing to turn away from that sin. You're going to fail. You're going to fall short, for the Bible says we all do. But the difference between a life submitted to Jesus and a life apart from him is that when you fail, you now have a heavenly father you can run to who's already forgiven you for your failure 
and who is ready to redefine you, to restore you, and to redeem you. When you repent of that sin and you submit your life to him, to say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life for all of my life. You're giving him that seat of authority in your life. And then you surrender your will to his will. Because your father in heaven is the one that created you. And son, daughter, he created you on purpose for a purpose. And apart from him, you will never understand your true purpose. But a life that is repented, submitted, and surrendered to him will walk in his purpose when you surrender your will to his for your life. Have that conversation with him right now. And Father God, I come before you in this church that God, we all repent of our sin. We all admit that we've fallen short. And we thank you that in your grace and your mercy, we thank you for your forgiveness, that we can run to you even in moments of inconsistency, but we truly believe that with your help, we can grow in being more consistent. Thank you, Jesus, for being consistent. Thank you for never falling short. Thank you for fulfilling the Father's will for your life and giving your life for ours. We love you, Lord. It's in your precious and holy name all of God's children said. Amen and amen.